0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our study through the Book of Acts. We're calling it We Are All Witnesses, Part 2. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the Book of Acts, and get ready to study God's Word with us. Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you. Thank you for that uh, amazing welcome. I really appreciate that. I want to give you an update uh, because last time I was up here, was the, uh, a week into my marathon training. You guys remember that? I, you guys all kept me accountable. Thank you. And wouldn't you know it, the next time I'm here, uh, we're a week away from the marathon, okay? And it's, it's almost here, all right? And I've been training this entire time. Three months. Been going. Thank you. Thank you. It's been awful. <laughs> it's, been, it's been terrible. There has not been a day that has gone by that my legs have not hurt in some way, shape, or form. My knees, my ankles, my hips, whatever. I have been in uh, all of the pain all of the time for three months. And uh, so people ask me, hey, you know, what's your, what's your pace? Uh, my pace is survival, okay? It's, it's, not a, it's not a number, it's a lifestyle, okay? I'm just trying to finish. And so I'm really excited about it. Thank you for your prayers. If you think about it next week, like right now, I'm probably going to be in a bit of suffering, so if you could pray for me, uh, (laughs) that would be great. Um, But as I've been training for this marathon, we've been doing something called a long run, which is like an exceptionally longer run every single week you do it. And uh, in that run, I've been doing it with a particular person mostly. Almost every significant long run that I've done, I have done with Pastor Brian Bradshaw over at the Crystal Lake campus. And it is been a lifesaver doing it with someone else, because uh, when you run as slow as we do for as long as we're running, that's a long time, right? You get to the 13, 15, 16 miles, you're out there for two, three hours, right? It's a long time. But what that, what that has, what has happened inside of that is, is me and Brian have really gotten to have really great conversations. And over the course of, of these three months, I have gotten to hear over and over again, Brian's heart for discipleship on our runs because that's what we talk about. It's like very like exasperated, right? Because we're like huffing and puffing, but we've been talking about discipleship and it's been incredible to hear his heart. And what I've noticed this week as I was thinking about it is that my heart for discipleship is, is, is being grown. And the passion for discipleship that I have in my own heart is, 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 being, is, being, is being built up as I'm having these conversations with Brian. I'm thinking more about it. I'm thinking along the ways that, that he's thinking about it because we've spent so much time together. And, and when you spend time with someone, you start to kind of look like them, right? I mean, even to the point, I'm looking so much like, I look like Brian Bradshaw now, like not physically. Like he's way more handsome than I am, but I started to look like him with our hearts. And also uh, this past long run that we did on Monday, was a half marathon he injured his knee, I know, terrible, and then a mile down the road, I injured my knee, and it was the same injury, different knee, same injury, and so not only is my, am I looking more like Brian in my heart, but apparently I'm being injured like Brian too, which is amazing. But isn't that true? We all know that to be true, that the people that you walk closely with, or closest with, are the people that you end up looking like, right? And this happens uh, in the in the negative or in the positive, right? The, the students, children, this is why your parents tell you to be careful with who you hang out with because they know the truth that, that who you spend the most time with is who you end up looking like. And if the people that you're spending the most time with are of bad character, you're going to start looking like that. Uh, friends, we know this to be true, right? We spend a lot of time with our friends and we start acting like each other we start using the same language and, and and we start talking alike and having the same mannerisms and sometimes the same style right spouses we know this to be true right we, we spend a lot of time with our spouses and so we start to look like each other I'll give you a, a positive example of that in in my life with my wife Kelly uh because I, only positive because I don't have the death wish um you know I was wrong I should have said because there are only positive things just forget that last part, babe. All right, only positive things. So I am uh, naturally spontaneous. I don't know if you knew that. I uh, I don't put much planning into things. I like to, you know, as my emotions go. I'm like, oh, that feels good. Let's do that. Oh, hey, that sounds exciting. Let's do that right now. Right? There's not a lot of planning that happens. And so uh, Kelly is the exact opposite. She is everything planned type A, uh, preferably months in advance. Right? And so as we've been married together now for a long time, uh, we I'm becoming more like her. I'm looking a little bit more like my wife. I plan things now and I schedule them. I live by my schedule now. And and so we know this to be true, right? You look like the people that you spend the most time with. And that's what we're gonna see in scripture together today is a man who spent time walking in the ways of Jesus. And because of that, he looked a whole lot like him. And so that's the title of our time today, walking in the ways of Jesus. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 6. Verse eight through fifteen. So open up your Bibles. Hope you have a, a God's Word with you. It's really important to get your eyes on God's Word. And really, we're, we're going to be looking at Stephen today. And we heard about him first the first time for the first time in Acts last weekend. If you remember, he was one of the seven who were who were appointed to serve the tables of the widows during the distribution, and really to, to solve the problem of uh, of division that was rising up within this early church. That's that's Stephen. But today what we're gonna see in, in chapter six is we're going to see um, a description of, of who Stephen was. Who, who was Stephen and, and what was Stephen's life like? And we're staying in Acts chapter six, verses eight through 15, because next week Pastor Jeff is gonna be back and he's gonna be preaching the rest of Stephen's story, a little bit of part one, part two, right? He always saves the best ones for himself, unbelievable. I'm just kidding. We have a great passage for today. But I think it's important when we walk into, into texts like this, so this text is, like I said, it's very descriptive of Stephen. We should ask ourselves a, a question. Why, why is Luke, why is the author writing about Stephen? Well, what is the intent in, in writing about Stephen? And I think that there's there's two. Uh, one certainly is because Stephen is the first Christian martyr, meaning he, that he died for the sake of Christ. Spoiler alert for next week, sorry. But also because we're we're being given an example of of us and the early church really are being given an example of someone who walked in the ways of of Jesus. And it's actually, as you see, and as we're going to see, it's really uncanny how closely he did walk in the ways of Jesus. So let's open up and get our eyes on God's word. Verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who believe, or sorry, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, these were uh, freed Roman slaves, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. So these people came together. Stephen was proclaiming Christ in the synagogue and they came against him, they opposed him, they disagreed with him. They were arguing with him. They were disputing with him. And look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here's the first thing that we're gonna see is that when we walk in the ways of Jesus, our lives mirror Christ. When we walk in the ways of Jesus, our lives mirror Christ, right? The more time you spend with someone, the more that you look like them. And Stephen was a man walking in the ways of Jesus And because of that, he looked like Jesus. In fact, I wanna do a little exercise with you right now, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you some descriptors and I want you in a loud voice to tell me who it looks like, okay? I'm gonna give you the the descriptors, you tell me who it looks like, ready? Uh, Full of wisdom and the spirit, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, full of power and grace, doing many signs and wonders among the people, when arguing against the religious, they couldn't withstand his wisdom and the spirit. Are you seeing it yet? Was falsely accused, was put into an unjust trial, was sentenced to death. As he was being killed, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. About the men who were killing him, he said, do not hold this sin against them. And he was killed unjustly. Who does that look like? Looks like Jesus. Jesus but what I just gave you were the descriptors that we find here in Stephen's story. Because when you walk in the ways of Jesus, your life mirrors Christ. It's just like a mirror, right? The thing that you woke up and looked into this morning as you were getting ready, right? You were looking in, making sure everything was all right this morning and you were looking at it. And what did you see? You saw a reflection, an image of yourself, right? Now that image, that's not not you, you're standing where you're standing, but what you're looking at there in the the mirror is a reflection, an image, and it looks just like you, doesn't it? That's Stephen. Stephen is a mirror of Jesus. He is a reflection of Jesus. He is an image of Jesus because he is walking with Jesus. You look at the attributes and attitudes and actions of Stephen, full of wisdom in the spirit full of faith in the Holy Spirit, full of power and grace, doing many signs and wonders among the people. They could not withstand his wisdom in the Spirit. We see a life reflecting Jesus, don't we? And we, we have a word for when that happens. It's sanctification, right? I think 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this really well. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Or Romans 8, 29. For, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's a sanctification. So as we walk in the ways of Jesus, we are being further separated from sin and we're conforming more and more and more into the image of Of Christ, not perfectly, not perfectly, everyone say amen, not perfectly, but progressively, right? Progressively. Over time, we are becoming more and more like the one in whom we spend time with. We are becoming mirrors of Christ, and that is Stephen here. And I think when we look at all of these descriptors that we see of Stephen, full of wisdom and the Spirit, full of faith, full of power and grace, doing many signs and wonders. His wisdom could not be withstood. We, we think we're like, man, I, yeah, no, I wanna be like Stephen, who ultimately is reflecting Christ. I wanna be like Christ, right? But I, I, I would love this too. Like how did, how did Stephen get to the place where he is? How did Stephen have all of these things be, be true about him? How did, how, did, how did this happen for him? Well, it's because he was walking with Jesus who's walking in the ways of Jesus. And so then we have to ask the question is, well, well, how was he walking in the ways of Jesus? What did that look like? And we don't know much about Stephen. This is, this is what we get of Stephen's story. We don't know his full backstory. We don't know his life story. We know just a couple of things about Stephen. But what I can tell you is that uh, there are some things that we can absolutely know about Stephen in the ways that he walked with Jesus. We know these things. Let's actually look at them together. Here's the things that we know about Stephen uh, walking in the ways of of Jesus. Here's the first one is he was in solid Christian community. And we know that he was in solid Christian community because this is the Acts 2, Acts 4 church, right? They had all things together in common. They were serving one another, caring for one another, loving one another, submitting to one another, proclaiming Christ to to a lost and dying world together, right? Because this is the community that Stephen was actually appointed out of. Earlier in, in Acts six, this is the community that he he's being risen up to be appointed to deal with a problem in the church. This is his community; he's part of this solid Christian community. We also know um, that Stephen uh, was a person who served where he was needed. We actually find out that Stephen has some pretty amazing gifts, right? Like he's doing signs and wonders among the people. He's 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 an amazing he's amazing at apologetics, like literally. Uh, so good that people cannot withstand uh, his wisdom in the spirit, right? Uh, We'll find out next week in, in Acts 7 that he's actually a really great preacher too. He had a lot of gifts, but when he was tapped on the shoulder and asked to serve the tables of the widows, he did. He served where he was needed in his community. We also know that he followed Jesus' mission because he was in the synagogues preaching and proclaiming Christ, seeking to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he was going and he was trying to make disciples by proclaiming Christ in the synagogue and they came against him. So even despite the opposition, he continued to proclaim Christ. He was following Jesus' mission. We know that he read the word or knew the word might be a better way to say that because in Acts 7, he gives almost a complete summary of the history of Israel and the prophets and specific quotes He certainly knew the word of God. We know that he spoke with God because in his last moments, he was speaking with God, praying. And we know that he persevered until the end. These are the things that we know that Stephen was doing walking in the ways of Jesus. And I think that... I could look at this list and I could say, well, maybe I could add some things and like uh, maybe some things that I might think are helpful, but I, I really don't think that I need to here. I think that if we really look at the example of Stephen and the ways that he was walking with Jesus, if we were to do these things, we would be walking pretty closely with Jesus. He's a great example for us and the early church. And so whether you're looking at this list and you're like, man, I'm crushing it, I'm crushing that list already. Or maybe you're looking at it and you're like, I've got some things that I need to dive into a little bit more. Let's ask this question of ourselves to you and myself, right? Because when we're looking at this scripture, what this scripture is, it is it is, it is someone else describing who Stephen was. It is another person looking at the life of Stephen and then trying to give us a picture, the best picture of this is who Stephen was, someone else describing Stephen, And the question is, is if someone was writing about you, what words would they use to describe you? If someone was writing about you, what are the main things about you? Because these are the main things that you need to know to understand who Stephen was. These are the main things. If someone was writing about you, what words would they use? How would they describe you? Would they describe you by your job? Would they describe you by your talents? What you have to offer, by your identity? Or would they describe you how Stephen is described? Because when we walk in the ways of Jesus, our lives mirror Christ. And uh, here's the next one, Uh, right there, yep. When we walk in the ways of Jesus, our lives will mirror Christ. Now you might think that I just made a mistake. Tommy, that seems exactly like the first point that you made. What's going on here? Exactly. It, it, it's, it is, but it's also, it's it's not, right? This is gonna be a really easy outline to remember this week, okay? Your life will mirror Christ and your life will mirror Christ, right? Really easy to remember. Let me explain it. Look at verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 together. Then they secretly instigated men. Th- these are the 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 men who came and disputed with Stephen, they instigated men who said, we have heard him, Stephen, blas- speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon and they seized him and they brought him before the council. This is a Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. It's actually the first time that a non-apostle is brought before the, the, the Sanhedrin. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Love this part. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Like the face of an angel. Here's what we see again, is that, because Stephen's life mirrored Christ in his attitudes, attributes, and actions, his life also mirrored Christ in the way that he was treated. He was falsely accused. He was placed into a, a, a fake trial full of false witnesses. He was persecuted. Because he walked in the ways of Jesus, he was, all of these things were happening. He was persecuted. Just like the previous two chapters of the disciples who were proclaiming Christ, and being persecuted. This is actually a pattern that we're gonna see continue in the book of Acts. This pattern of, of proclaiming Christ and being persecuted and then staying strong under the persecution and then you'll see bearing fruit. We see this pattern over and over in the early church and in the book of Acts. And the reason why that this is two points instead of just one point is because I think primarily when we think about walking in the ways of Jesus, we think about it almost exclusively as the sanctification part, right? The becoming like Christ, the conforming into the image of Christ, the sanctification. When I think about when I walking in the ways of Jesus, I think about my life changing to be like Jesus' life and attitudes, actions, and attributes. We don't really ever think about it in this way, that our lives will also mirror Christ in the way that he was treated. Like Jesus wasn't joking in John 15, when he said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you, right? These things, they they go hand in hand, walking in the ways of Jesus and persecution. They go hand in hand. They're inseparable, right? Inseparable. It's like, um, because I'm a Cowboys fan, I am constantly disappointed, right? Like, because you're a Packers fan, you're also a jerk, (laughs) hand in hand, okay? Hand in hand. I don't make the rules, okay? I don't do it. This is just true, right? (laughs) Walking in the ways of Jesus and persecution, they, they go hand in hand. Jesus said it best. If you love me, the world will hate you. We don't love that though, do we? We, we don't love that because uh, we have become quite comfortable. We've become quite comfortable. Um, and I think that we've become quite comfortable because we really haven't faced hard persecution in America, right? Especially as you relate it to the rest of the world, we have faced maybe some persecution for your faith, absolutely, but not really the type that we're seeing happen um, exactly here in, in, in the book of Acts. Or, or, or what we're seeing around the rest of the world. It's been quite light for us here in America. Um, and, and and really this is uh, because we're enjoying the comforts of Christendom. Uh, this is because we are founded as a Christian nation and therefore we have upheld for a very long time Christian values and morals and beliefs in our country. It's been kind of the majority view in our country for a long time, but Uh, As you have noticed, and I have noticed over these past couple years, there's been a shift in our culture, hasn't there? Have you noticed it? There's been a shift. And the shift that we are seeing in our culture is that we have become and are becoming more increasingly a post-Christian nation, post-Christendom. And I want to give you uh, three words um, by a guy named Aaron Wren that really helped me kind of walk through the process of what this post-Christian Christian world how, how we kind of got here from Christendom to post-Christian because really this is happening in a lot of places we, we see this already happening in the Pacific Northwest it's already happened in Canada it's already happened in Europe the the closer that you get to urban centers this is happening more frequently it's already happening uh, generation Z which is uh, people born between 1993 and 2012 are the first truly post-Christian generation But here are three words to help us understand the movement towards post-Christianity. It's positive world, negative world, or sorry, positive world, neutral world, negative world. The positive world, this is Christendom, right? And this was up until about the mid 90s, 94 and before. So if you are old enough, I'm a a child of the 90s. If if you remember the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, before that, uh, you'll remember this, is, is that Christianity, Christians were actually seen very positively, right? If you were a Christian, up until the mid nineties, you were actually viewed as a good and upstanding citizen, right, people looked at you and they're like, wow, you're a Christian, that's really great. You guys do a lot of good in the world. It was viewed very positively. Then after 1994, uh, going into the early 2000s, we entered into the neutral world. And this was very indifferent of Christianity. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, good for you, good for you. I'm like, I don't believe that in that stuff. I kind of got my own thing that I'm doing over here. Good for you, but I'm gonna do my own thing. It was indifferent. It was neutral. And then in the mid 2010s, 2014 and beyond, this is where the shift to post-Christianity has been taking place. This is the negative world. And you've seen the shift as well as, as, well as I have, right? That, that we, Christian, being a Christian, you are now not viewed positively or neutrally. You are viewed negatively by society and culture as a whole, right? Uh, that, that your views and your beliefs and your morals are actually uh, not only wrong, and evil, but are actually considered to be the source of the problem in culture today. Christians are the problem in the culture, and so therefore we must cast them out to the outer edges of the culture. Take any issue that has come up in, in recent memory, right? Abortion is the most recent one, right? What are the things being said through media, through the news, through people online about Christians and their beliefs? Negative. The problem with culture and society. This is this is the post-Christian world, and and I don't share these things with you um, to make you afraid. This isn't um, I'm not fearmongering up here. Okay, it's just really important that we uh, as Christians understand the reality that we're living in. Right? It's un- it's 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 important that we understand that this is where our culture is and where it is increasingly headed, so that we can kind of start to change our mind on some things, right? Because right now when we face persecution, when we face persecution, what happens? We get angry, don't we? We get mad, we get frustrated. We shout about it on social media. I'm gonna call my government official. Oh, you just wait. I'm gonna get you, all right? (laughs) I'm gonna tell them a piece of my mind for treating me so unfairly. I can't believe this. Uh, oh you, oh yeah, you think you're gonna per- persecute me? I'm gonna persecute you right back, okay? And I've got the power of God on my side. Better watch out. I'm wielding the Holy Spirit over here, okay? that's what we're like, isn't it? We get angry, we fight back. Or uh, we do the opposite and we throw ourselves a pity party, right? We, we, get, we despair about it. I can't believe I'm being persecuted. I am the most persecuted Christian in the whole world. thats how we react and think about persecution right now. And we need to rethink our view of persecution going forward in the post-Christian world. We do, we have to, we must. Because look at Stephen, in the face of a a false accusation, a a fake trial. I mean, could you imagine if you were in that situation and people were giving false witness of you? That's not true. That person's a liar. I can't believe that they're saying that about me right now. I obviously didn't say that. This is what I said. We want to make defense for ourselves, right? We want to justify ourselves. What what is Stephen? What is Stephen? His face shone like an angel in the midst of false accusation and false witness. His face shone like an angel. It wasn't frowning, angry. It was angelic. how could uh how could the the disciples in acts 5 after they were beaten by the council and released it says that when they left the presence of the council they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name how does first first Peter and and, and James 1 talk about joy in suffering how, how can you have joy like that's that seems like the, those seems like, they seem like opposites. Suffering, joy, that doesn't seem right. How could you possibly have joy in the midst of persecution or suffering? I think three, three really important reasons for us as we rethink how we view persecution. The first one is that it is a strengthening of our faith. It's a strengthening of our faith. We can have joy Because the persecution and the suffering is a strengthening of our faith. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The the difficulty of persecution and suffering, when it comes, what it's going to do is it's going to test your faith. And that testing of your faith is going to produce steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, you're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It is going to strengthen your faith. And so when the hard times come of persecution, and it will increasingly, this is going to strengthen our faith. There's a great quote by a, a guy named G. Michael Hopf. It says that hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men men create hard times just replace that word men with christians okay and let's let's it's a cycle right it's a cycle let's find ourselves in the cycle we are coming from good times christendom which has created weak christians the gospel was being watered down for many years some of the goal of the church was to look more and more like the world weak and that weak Christianity produces hard times. But listen, here's, here's the reason we can have joy is the hard time is going to produce strong Christians. It is going to strengthen Christians. And those strong Christians are going to create good times. We see this in the book of Acts. Persecution, creating strong steadfast, complete Christians who then go and proclaim Christ boldly to a world and there is revival. I have, I have faith to believe that, that that is going to happen with us as well. That's the reason why we can have joy. Here's another one is that we're sharing with Christ. We're sharing with Christ. First Peter 4, 12 and 13 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's, it's why the disciples have joy in Acts 5. Why? Because they're following in the footsteps of their savior. That they are, that they are even counted worthy to be dishonored for the name of Christ, the one who went ahead of us and suffered and died on the cross to reconcile us to God that we would even be counted worthy to share in that suffering is an honor. and We should rejoice in that. John Piper has a, a great quote which he says the the closest fellowship you will have with your savior is the fellowship of his sufferings. We share with Christ in our suffering. I wanna just a small aside moment. I wanna talk about suffering because the the suffering that's being talked about here is very specific. Okay, the, the suffering here is persecution. And persecution is specific in the way that um, it comes from proclaiming Christ, right? There are different other types of of suffering and persecution. There is um, something to be said about circumstantial suffering. That's where suffering happens to you, outside of your control, right? The loss of someone, uh, sickness, illness, circumstances outside of your control. And there is something to be said about sharing and suffering well with Christ in those circumstances. That's not what this is speaking to. This is speaking to persecution, but I I really wanna make sure that we understand that this is not self-inflicted suffering, okay? Because maybe you've seen this, I've seen this, right? Is that people will go out and they are abrasive, rude, mean, bigoted, um, they have a horrible take on something and they then receive uh, persecution for being uh, mean, rude, bigoted, bad takes, right? They they receive that and and then on the other side of this, maybe you've seen this, I've seen this. They're like, I'm suffering with Christ. No, you're not. You're suffering because of yourself, right? (laughs) This is self-inflicted suffering. You are suffering because you're mean, all right? That's not the same thing. That's self-inflicted suffering. That's not what this is talking about. This type of suffering and persecution is specific to the proclamation of Christ. That's it. No self-inflicted suffering, just the proclamation of Christ. They go, they proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. They share the good news of the gospel. They are persecuted because of it. Does that make sense? Okay. Soapbox, done. Here's the third thing where we can have joy in the midst of suffering and persecution is the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory. When we are unified in suffering for Christ, we will be unified in his glory forever. Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He goes on, for I consider that suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see that there? Provided we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. It's conditional. Do you see how conditional that is? You don't get the one without the other. Provided we suffer, we will also be glorified with him. And that is the great hope for the Christian is that even in the midst of persecution, it's the great hope of Stephen. Even in the midst of the persecution, there's the hope of glory. And that glory, the, the, compared to the, the, the temporary suffering that I have now, it's, it's not even worthy of comparison. And this is, uh, makes me think of the marathon, of course, um, and cause I'm doing it and, um, I've been suffering for three months. You guys are like, we don't care, Tommy. You you already talked about this. And it's self inflicted. And you just were talking about how, like, that's, I get it, okay, right? But listen, it's been tough. I've been suffering, legs hurt, all of that stuff, right? Been hard. I'm going to suffer some more next week. But there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel, there is a finish line. There's a reason that, uh, that the Christian faith is closely related to running the race of endurance, right? There's a finish line. And if I persevere to the finish line, there is a certain glory on the other side of that, that makes all of the suffering and the training worth it. Because I will have finished the race. I will look back and say, that suff- hey, that was, that was some suffering, but you know what? It was worth it because I finished. And that is such a small, minuscule, physical picture of this massive, huge, spiritual reality that awaits all of us. Is that the suffering of this present time is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us in eternity with Christ in heaven. It's not even a comparison and it is so worth it. And so when you walk in the ways of Jesus, you will also walk the path of Jesus. And when you walk the path of Jesus, you will be glorified with Jesus. That is the great hope that we have in the midst of persecution. So church, set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Stephen is an example of that. And he is an example of of how we should strive to, to, to live our lives, walking in the ways of Jesus, right? Committed to the Lord even in the face of suffering and persecution. Faithful to the mission of Christ, preaching Christ boldly spending time with him in the word and in prayer, living in strong Christian community and willing to be used by God for his plan and purpose. Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, we thank you for our time this morning and just the example that you have set before us in Stephen who ultimately was following after Christ, who was walking in the ways of your son, who is the the, the perfecter, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so Lord... Our prayer today is that you would help us walk in the ways of your son, Jesus. We need your help. We're moving into a negative world that is going to bring with it persecution and suffering. And Lord, would you help us to change our minds on how we view that? Would we, instead of viewing it with despair and dismay, would we rejoice that we are counted even worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ? Would you fill us with boldness as we proclaim Christ to the world? Lord, we love you. We're focused on you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.